COVID-19 has pushed small businesses to the brink. A survey from the Federal Reserve Bank shows three out of 10 small businesses in the U.S. say they won't survive 2021 without additional government assistance. For the ones lucky enough or savvy enough to stick around, a digital presence is going to be key to their survival. This is entrepreneurship at its core. Like there was no challenge, no obstacle that I wasn't gonna find a path around or through or over. What it takes to go digital, that's today on Brainstorm, the podcast about how tech is reshaping our world. Hi everyone, welcome to Brainstorm. I'm Michal Evram. And I'm Brian O'Keefe. Brian, the last year has been so tough on small businesses, and I know if I just look around my neighborhood, I've seen quite a few of them shut down. There's one toy store in particular that we just loved, and it was one of the last independent smaller toy stores. I used to take the kids there all the time, and it's shut down. And so have some other stores near us. And, you know, it's just, it's a really, really tough reality. It already was pre-COVID for small businesses, but even more so now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, here in Brooklyn, you walk around and there's tons of storefronts, you know, where businesses closed. Uh, a lot of restaurants in New York have gone out of business. It's tough to be a small business owner in the best of times, tough to be a restaurant owner. And, you know, e-commerce was here to stay and was disrupting the business landscape, obviously, well before the pandemic arrived. But it's really kind of shifted that transition into high gear so one example of that is I want to tell everybody about a business called Dope. That's dough with a P on the end. Anyway, it's a company that sells edible and bakeable cookie dough. And who doesn't love that? It's amazingly delicious. It's a recipe that has not changed in all four years of the business. And it was a chocolate chip cookie recipe I'd made for a long time that I just through sort of part-time vegan baking, was able to make safe to eat. I love butter, but I wasn't using any eggs. So this cookie dough was like, yeah, eat as many bites as you want raw or bake it into cookies. That was founder and CEO Kelsey Morea. She started selling cookie dough a few years ago out of a food cart in San Francisco, and the business really caught on. She even went on Shark Tank to raise money for a physical store that she opened in Las Vegas. I'm on a mission to get dope in every city in America through opening additional high-traffic storefronts, franchising, and expanding onto grocery store shelves. All the while, Kelsey was dabbling in e-commerce. Luckily, just before the pandemic, she and her team had decided to get more serious about it, and it paid off. So if you go back to November of 2019, before we had COVID-19, they were selling 30 boxes a month of their cookie dough online. By April of 2020, when the whole world had gone into lockdown, they were already selling 3,000 boxes a week online. We're running like graveyard shifts trying to make enough dough to like be able to pack it and get it ready for the postal guy at 9 a.m. And it was madness. Like we were not sleeping for approximately a month of time there while we figured out how to get through that massive scale. E-commerce is now all of Dope's business. Kelsey says she maybe could imagine opening a brick and mortar store again. I could see opening a flagship in Times Square or something, you know, more as a marketing thing, like one physical location to come and enjoy dope in person again in a real tourist location. But for now, you know, go with what's working, focus on what's working. And, uh, you know, I'm trying not to rock that boat too much, just grow it and get it into a larger boat. <laughs> okay, well... I would buy cookie dough online or offline, whatever form it comes. But I do know that a lot of businesses are in dope's shoes. 
And it's interesting because as much as it's been hard for some small businesses to adapt to a a much more digital future, in a lot of ways, the fact that e-commerce technology has really taken hold now, it actually opens doors for new entrepreneurs too. Luke Pardue is an economist with the company Gusto, which helps small business owners automate all sorts of back office needs. And he's been looking at the effect of the pandemic on small businesses across the country. Not only has the crisis forced existing businesses to find new revenue streams or new ways of just getting their products to customers, but it really has also led to the creation of new businesses. So when we look at census data on new business applications, we've seen 4.3 million new businesses being formed in in 2020, which is a huge increase, a big spike from the prior years. And this is driven by what we call non-store retailers. These are the the shops, the firms that don't have physical storefronts. And new business formation is 10 times higher in non-store retailers than other retail establishments. The catch, of course, Michal, is that you have to have reliable high-speed internet to really make this work. So that really gives an advantage to businesses operating in places where they have access to that kind of fast digital connection. An internet presence right now is not a nice to have, it's a need to have, and you need to have a website or an online shop to participate in the economy as it stands today. And yet there is a divide in access to both social media tools and simply being able to access the internet. Right now, almost half of Americans don't have internet at broadband speeds, which means that their businesses, it's not only an issue for families and for say students who need online learning, but it's an economic issue for businesses that need to access the internet and participate in this way. So being able to sell via e-commerce is one thing, but there are also a lot of storefronts that are still brick and mortar and they're not set up even with digital payments. And I'm not talking cryptocurrency or Bitcoin or anything fancy like that. I'm just talking about credit card payments. There are still a lot of small businesses that are cash and check. We wanted to hear more about this piece of digitization for small businesses. So I spoke with Mary Kay Bowman. She's the head of global buyer and seller product at Visa. It's a long title, but basically means she helps equip businesses to accept different forms of payment. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, you guys have at Visa, you have access to just so much data and it's global. In what ways has the way we pay for things changed during COVID? What are the trends that you've seen? One thing that we notice is that um, having a digital presence is key to survival in the world of the pandemic. And that's probably even more important for small businesses who have to be responsive and creative when coming up with new ways to serve their customers. Digital payments have accelerated, and it's a reflection of uh, the changes in how customers are shopping. Capabilities like tapping uh, to pay, contactless, and then things like the ability to buy online and then pick up face-to-face for the kind of last mile of the transaction. Those are trends that we certainly saw before the pandemic, but we've seen a great deal of progress in that customer experience. And what we hear from customers is that they are going to continue using those after the pandemic. So we hear a lot about this acceleration of digital transformation with 
large companies across all industries, right, during COVID. And so would you say that you're seeing the same kind of acceleration on the small business front? Yeah, I I would absolutely say that. We know at Visa that there is really no economic recovery. There's no finish of the recovery without small business. Um, Making technology simpler, more accessible, and more available to small businesses is key to that uh, because they're just out there being scrappy and trying to get what they need to do with their customers done. Larger businesses have IT departments. They have CTOs. Oftentimes, an independent local business doesn't have those things. Do you have a sense of how many businesses, small businesses, are not digital? What's the potential market out there for Visa for small companies that still have a you know pretty long way to go in digitization? There's never a perfect data point as to how many there are at any given time and how many of them are digital. Um, but what we do see is a shift of interest in that. Globally, 82% of small businesses, local independent businesses that we're talking about, have uh, made a shift to update their operations to uh, meet the new demands of their customers. They listen to their customers and make changes on the fly when they need to. And we know that nearly half of consumers globally would not shop at a store that only offered payment methods that require contact with a cashier. So that shift to contactless, which is enabled by Visa and and, uh, our partners, is one big shift that we do see. Can you talk us through what it actually takes to digitize uh, on the payment side? So like there's a taqueria down the street from me that has always been cash and check only. Like if I'm the taqueria owner and I feel a need now because of customer demand to uh, accept payments digitally, what do I need to do and what role does Visa play in that process? So um, many roles, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples, but it's incredibly important to us to be the backbone and make technology and uh, other kind of advanced systems available uh, to businesses of every size. An example of of one of the innovations that we use is tap to phone. So while your taqueria at the pop-up or the farmer's market or in the food truck arena may not have a big uh, point of sale system, we wanted to make it possible for them to never say no to a sale if a customer comes in and wants to Uh, use their card. So we enable their phone to become an acceptance device so that they can tap the customer's card to the software-based point of sale on their phone. It allows them, without an investment in a lot of hardware, to be able to answer the need and so that they can take payments from customers and never miss a sale. And it doesn't mean that they necessarily have to like digitize their inventory or buy some fancy software for, you know, enterprise resource plan, like what, what, there's so many things out there, right, that bigger businesses use, but they can just get payments up and running. They don't have to digitize the rest of the business in order to do it. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's a really good point that digitizing a business can mean a lot. And one of the things that we focus on, on is that last mile of commerce, where, We are um, making sure that the 
Once the order is taken, that the payment can be electronic and that it blends in with the other technology um, and digitization that they've done for their business, but it's not reliant upon it. Mihal, do you remember the credit card imprinters? Do you know what those are? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Those were yeah, really cool. <laughs> I think we're aging ourselves. Put the card in there with the double, uh, you know, form on there and you slide the thing across. <laughs> right. And it, it like made this horrible impression of your card and you had to well, sign it. Most of the numbers showed up. <laughs> yeah, most of them. Enough. <laughs> Enough. So it was probably you. But, you know, today you don't need anything like that kind of equipment to be uh, a business accepting credit cards. I'm just thinking about the leaps and bounds that we make now. I mean, in the pandemic, I've hardly ever used cash. I mean, I took a bunch of cash out of the bank. Like when things first shut down, I was like, I don't know, I might need cash. Who knows what's going to happen? And it's like, you know, sitting here in my bag, don't tell anybody. I don't want any home invaders or anything. <laughs> but I walk around and like, I, if I'm going to go in the subway, I just use my phone and it's connected to my credit card. You know, I use Apple Pay or whatever, and I don't even have to touch anything. And just to be clear, even though this is really simple for small businesses to get up and running, there's a cost involved, right? So the more businesses start accepting credit cards and debit cards, the more Visa makes money. They get a cut, and so do many other players of each transaction. So, Mihal, the advantages of shopping online at one of the giant e-commerce sites like, of course, Amazon, Walmart, some of the others, uh, you know, pretty obvious. They have incredible selection. They have incredible delivery efficiency. You can get what you need very quickly. You know, there's not a lot of wasting time. On the other hand, sometimes you don't want to shop where everybody else is shopping, or at least I don't. I think there's like a a joy in uh, kind of discovering things. And it's not always fun to be shopping at the big, efficient place that everybody goes to. Yeah, definitely. I think there's been also just more awareness of our local environment, our neighborhoods, our businesses, and wanting to support them as hard as things have been during COVID. Our next guest is April Underwood, and she's the founder and CEO of Nearby. She's really interested in trying to level the playing field between huge online retailers and small local businesses. And April used to work for Slack and a bunch of other pretty large tech companies. Her idea is to basically create an online marketplace, but just for local businesses. She told me she had her idea early on in the pandemic. When COVID hit and I walked down the street in San Anselmo and I saw merchants who have historically only sold offline, putting signs up in their windows saying, you know, now that you could do curbside pickup, that you could call them with orders, that you could email them, that you could go onto their website and buy online. What I saw was an overnight shift towards the adoption of e-commerce and just, you know, embracing the internet that was really sort of forced by foot traffic drying up. And I saw that converging with consumers wanting to shop local and looking for alternatives to Amazon. And I felt like this is a moment in time where the timing is right to finally build something that should have existed for decades, which is an easy way to shop local online. And this is the moment. Give me the the pitch. If I'm a, a small business, you know, I own a, a restaurant or a store or a gift shop. Why would I want to be on your platform? So the problem statement is this, that 
merchants stand up online stores. They use any of the e-commerce platforms, Shopify, Squarespace, Square, so on and so on. They stand up these online stores, but there is no such thing as foot traffic on the web. And so they stand up an online store. Nobody comes to their online store. And when they do, the margins for those purchases are typically considerably lower because they've had to pay for the traffic to their website. They've had to pay a take rate to a marketplace like the Amazon marketplace. They pay for shipping and for packaging, and they typically absorb most of those costs because they're not comfortable passing them on to the consumer. And so what we did in Oakland is we built Keep Oakland Alive. And what we did is we brought together a couple of dozen of Oakland stores onto a single site and gave consumers the experience we've come to expect, which is you can shop across lots of stores and a single cart and you get the items delivered to your front door within a couple of days. That's what we all expect as consumers, but an individual small business cannot actually live up to that. It doesn't work for their business. It's not sustainable in a million different ways economically, you know, in terms of the labor costs that go into maintaining that e-commerce business and building it over time. And so what we've basically done is we've become the e-commerce team for the city of Oakland. And It's been a really promising early pilot that tell us not only that merchants need something like this, that consumers actually want it, but people want this all over the country. Can you just talk me through, walk me through what I would experience as a consumer? What's the look and feel of nearby for the Oakland pilot, for example? I mean, when I talk to people about what we're building, they say, I want to shop local, but it's too hard. I feel guilty when I shop on Amazon or from big retailers and I want an alternative, but I just don't know how. And so we're trying to make it so easy that consumers can actually follow through on that intent. When you come to the site, you're going to learn about the people behind these businesses. You're going to see that we have a team of people that merchandise the products every single week. So when you show up, you're going to find Black-owned businesses during Black History month. You're going to find Easter or Passover items during this week because that's the holiday that's currently underway. And you're going to find that we are putting in that effort that a a digitally first e-commerce team puts into merchandising products and actually selling online. And we're doing that on behalf of this basket of stores that make great products that are incredible curators, but that don't have the resources to be able to actively manage an e-commerce presence in the way that we can by doing it across an entire community. And can you explain the business model also? Because I would assume that gaining the trust of the small businesses for all the reasons you just listed um, is really key here. And the business model you set up is is a critical component of that. Yeah, absolutely. So like many marketplaces, we Uh, actually take a percentage of the purchase price, which means that our merchants only pay to be on the platform when they make sales. So they don't pay us a fee. And so our interests are completely aligned with theirs. Now, from a pricing standpoint, we are so far below the cost to sell through a a marketplace like Amazon. And so the goal over time is for us to find micro economies of scale so that, you know, we can do things like local delivery and shipping, and we can do it at a scale that actually brings down the costs for all of the merchants that participate. That means that they get to keep more money in their pockets. The companies, the small businesses that are on your platform for this particular pilot, do they already have e-commerce uh, you know, plans in place? Is there some level of digitization that they need to do before uh, coming onto the nearby platform? About 85% of our merchants already have an online store of some sort. But what that suggests is that 15% of them don't. And so we will work with merchants however they come. We meet them where they are. 
And so I'll give one example is Rockridge Day Spa, which is a day spa in Oakland that obviously historically has had a big business in services, but they've been unable to perform those services over the majority of the last year. And they've been selling products with them. We actually work with them directly to get their product inventory. And so we're the primary place where you can buy from them online. And so we've started to see some of these merchants and hear from them that some of them are getting more orders from our marketplace than they get through their own site. And so it's absolutely the case that it's important for us to have a path to work with merchants at scale, regardless of whether or not they're making an investment on their own online store, because some of them, I believe, are going to find that they'd rather just sell through a platform like us that makes it really easy for them to have an online presence with virtually zero work. This whole idea of a local online marketplace is kind of meta to me. It's local, but it's online. But I think it just goes to the point that, you know, the world is evolving, the way people shop and do business, it's all evolving. Personally, I hope that as we turn the corner on the pandemic at some point in the coming months, you know, we start to see a revival of the physical businesses as well, because I think that, you know, that adds a lot to the the feel of your local economy, even if they do have a healthy digital presence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the importance of local in-person shopping experiences and, and for small businesses, you know, building their brands through that familiarity um, are super important. And that's not going away. I hope it makes a comeback as well. You know, the other thing here is that having e-commerce up and running, it's not some like silver bullet. It doesn't mean that it's going to save every single small or local business. That said, you know, companies clearly need to dive into e-commerce today just in order to survive. Lucky for them, it's not an entirely different beast than setting up in-person operations. That's what Kelsey Morea, the CEO of Dope, told us. You actually have a lot of knowledge to benefit you in your transition to online. Like, we knew sort of the questions that customers ask most frequently when they would come up to the stores. And so it's like, that's the information I want to make sure I'm putting really clearly on the website. And like, what type of flavors should we lead with? Okay, well, let's make this our four pack, our bestseller pack, because we knew what our bestsellers were from our store. So there was a lot of learnings that I didn't have to go through the pain of like learning that in real time on the site and instead like leveraging the information uh, and customer base we had from the stores to make online successful. You know, Brian, I think for me, just having the flexibility of sometimes being able to walk down the street to my local store and buy things in person, but also know that I can do it online when I need to or want to. That's like, that's the golden ticket. You know, that's, that's really what makes small businesses sticky. So you're saying you want to be able to get your cookie dough anytime, day or night, 24 seven when you need it. Yes. But sometimes I also want to get my steps in is what I'm saying. <laughs> they go hand in hand. All right, that's it for today. Join us next time for more talk on how tech is reshaping our world. The Brainstorm Podcast is a production of Fortune Media. Our show is produced by Wyatt Orm and edited by Nicole Vergala. Music is by Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds NYC. Executive producers are Mason Cohn and Megan Arnold.